0: To good weather, right? I guess we really can't complain. This has not been a cold winter. I hate cold weather, it hates me. But really can't complain about this one. It hadn't it hadn't been bad. So now you need to make a note on your calendar or the person next to you or wherever you want to write it. Two weeks from today, what would be unique about that Sunday? Oh, you don't know, see? A little homework. No one knows. Got a $100 bill for the person. message. No, no, I'm just kidding. There, that phone. Google. It's daylight savings time. And I'm doing this for your own personal benefit. Because some of you show up here at 11 o'clock in two weeks, and we will say goodbye to you on the parking lot. I've uh, had that happen before. I won't mention anybody's name, but we've had that happen before. And I've had it happen to me only one time. So two weeks from today, the weekend of the 7th, 8th, you set your clocks ahead. It's my favorite day of the year because I like it when the sun sets late in the day as opposed to, I don't even know how all that works, but I just like it better. So it ought to be that way year round, but I'm not the man in charge. I should be, but I'm not. All right, daylight saving time. Two weeks. Next week, if you set it ahead, what will happen to you? You'll be wrong, but that's all right. All right, a couple of things I do want to mention to you, and then you can take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, we did a series on Jeremiah a few years ago. Let's see if anybody remembers. What was Jeremiah's nickname? Don't say bullfrog. All you three-dog night people. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. What was his nickname? Here am I. I'm going to sing it if somebody don't come up here. Anybody know what his nickname was? I can't believe it. I'm going to go back and do that entire sermon series again. Anybody know what his nickname was? The Weeping Prophet. Thank you. Come on up here and share with us. <laughs> the Weeping Prophet. Anybody know why? Because he cried a lot. <laughs> That's a deep right there, Bill. Why was he called the Weeping Prophet? Fifty years. Fifty years. The man proclaimed God's word with not one positive response. I know how he feels. No, fifty years. Can you imagine the frustration? And he writes about it. I'm not preaching on that today, but he writes about it. There's that great passage, and it's one of my favorites encouragement to me as a pastor is a place where he writes that I can't do it anymore. It's just honest. And he says, I just, you know, I, I I stand up and proclaim thus saith the Lord, and and I get mocked, and nobody responds. there's no response, no positive response. He says, I just can't do it anymore. And then the next and the passage goes on to say, but I have to because it's a burning in my bones that I have to get it out. And that's hopefully where we are as believers, that it's such a passion for us that it just comes out. this series, we're talking about who's your daddy, and we'll get more into that. In just a moment. All right, just a couple things I want to mention to you, and then we'll get into Jeremiah for our clothes closet. I was up here this week, and I like to go up there and just kind of see where we are and uh, looking around after last uh, help day, help group. And by the way, thank you again for all of you that showed up and helped. And, and uh, we had, a, I think, Chad told me it was like 450 families that we served. But anyway, our clothes closet is very depleted in, in a lot of areas, but specifically. We need men's clothes desperately, Uh, men's larger clothes uh, like what I would wear, uh, extra large or double extra large, uh, small, same thing with women's, but particularly men's, we're very, very depleted in men's clothes. So uh, clean out your closets, or you can do like my kids did when I was having open heart surgery. They just cleaned out mine for me. (laughs) My daughter's laughing because she knows that's what they did. Twenty years ago, May 10th, that's when I had my open heart surgery. I come home, find out my daughter is engaged. Now nah, I'm just teasing. But they had a yard sale and sold all my books. I love books. I literally went to that place at Macon and uh, Sycamore View. I call it Bibles for Jesus. I don't know what the name of it. It's a thrift store at Macon. I went in there looking at the books and looking. And I look and man, it looks familiar. And I pull It was mine. Because I always write my initials, I used to, I don't do it anymore, but I used to write the initials on the, on the margin, and I just put RL, and I would know that those were my books. And I'm looking at RL, 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 I said, I wonder if I take these 30 books with, have my initials on them, up to the counter, would they give them back to me? I said, no, I'll let Jesus have them, Bibles for Jesus. Just a quick story, I promise this is it. I had a friend of mine this week, uh, he's my the same age I am, I'm actually two months older than him, so he'll be my age in in March 12th. We're just sitting around talking, and I'm rambling. And he said, man, you need to shut up. And I said, you know, Mary tells me that on a regular basis. So here's what I told him. We had an old staff member that we all loved dearly, and he's uh, um, moved out of town and just retired. and, uh, And he used to tell stories all the time. As he got older... And so I told my friend, I said, all right, from now on, when you see me rambling like that, just mention his name. Be kind of our keyword, our, our code. If you mention his name, I know I need to what? Need to shut up move on to something else. All right. So anyway, men's clothes. If you can, if you can, uh, you can bring them up here and put them in the wagon and you can drop them off at the Bartlett campus. What? Yeah. We're back to men's clothes, right? What was I talking about? I don't even know. Oh, I know what it was. Thank you. Several years ago, we had someone come into the lobby of our Bartley campus and steal all our furniture. I'm going to write. Chris Ellison and I are going to write a book: "Stupid Stuff We've Seen and Known While on Staff of a Church." Man, we got some great stories. But anyway, someone comes into the lobby on a Sunday night and just steals all the furniture. And there used to be a thrift store right down the street from the, the church, and. It may, I don't know, it may still be there. I don't know. We, so that week was, I was taking all our, our uh, ladies that work in the office, I took them all out to lunch. And they wanted to go in there on the way back and just look around. I said, okay. And we walked around, we started looking around, I go, I think that's ours. <laughs> I said, I think that's ours. I think that's ours. And fortunately in my amazing wisdom as administrator, I'd had them write Central North Church on the underside of all our furniture. And I'm brilliant. So Apparently, it didn't work with my books, but so, so I, we start, we, we're going through the thrift store, turning furniture upside down. And finally, somebody comes up and says, what are y'all doing? I said, well, I gave my a, a card. And I said, man, this was stolen out of our church Sunday night. And they ended up giving it all back to us. And I said, by the way, that really nice uh, couch over there, I forgot to write it on that, but that was stolen also. No, I didn't do that. All right. So if you can help us with men's clothes, that would be great. Also, a couple, just a couple of things. If you're interested in your child through age 18, 5 through 18, playing baseball, t ball, coach pitch, whatever the appropriate sport is, you need to get them signed up. This week, really, we're kind of hitting a deadline where we've got to commit to whether we're having teams or not. There are sign-up forms that are by my office, by the door. You can contact me or John Eberson. And say, you know, I want to sign my child up, and we, you, know, you can email it to whatever. But if you want your child to play, you just need to get them signed up. So we got co ed softball for teenagers, we got a little bit of everything. So if you want your child to play, you need to get them signed up so we will know that we can commit to that team. All right, turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. If you'll take your hand out, it'll kind of catch us up where we were last week. As we are going through this series and we're beginning to look at who's your daddy, and and my hope, my desire, we talked about this a little bit last week, we're really going to focus on it a lot today, was that you will begin to just have a burning, like Jeremiah, a burning desire in your inner being to know your daddy better, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. That your faith won't just be an exercise in futility or a blind leap in the dark, but it'll be a channel of trust between your God, who is your daddy, not just the God who's out there, but if you're redeemed, you're born again, He's your Father, and He wants to know you, and He wants you you know Him. So we began to look at last week as we were looking at this series about who your daddy is. And you notice the verses there, I'm the Lord, there is no other, there's no God besides me. I'm the Lord your God, you'll have no other gods before me. As it begins the Decalogue and that great passage in Isaiah we've looked at. And then Romans 8, Paul writes, you received the spirit of adoption. God adopted us into His family when He saved us by whom we cry out, Abba, or Daddy. It's a term of endearment, intimacy, Father. And so we began to look at last week, why is this important to us? Or why should it be important to us to study who our daddy is? And you can say, yeah, I believe, I believe in God, and yes, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, and yes, I've, I've trusted Christ, and I'm born again, and, and my, I know God, and I'm going to die and, and go to heaven one day, but that's not enough. Yes, ultimately, our inheritance, and we'll see this as we walk through, Our inheritance that we have in Christ, that we're joint heirs with Christ, is an amazing thing to consider and think about. That's your eternal reward. That's your your inheritance. That when you leave this planet, that's what you will gain. We're the bride of Christ. We will reign with him over the universe. That's mind-boggling just to meditate on and think about. Yes, that's the final and ultimate reward. Kind of like the cherry on top of, of your... Cherry limeade or at the bottom or wherever your cherry limeade it ends up, that's fantastic. That's why we have peace and that's why we have hope and that's why we're secure and that death is not, we do not fear that. That's fantastic. But beyond that, what God wants is right now for you to revel in, be excited about who your dad is and living out the reality of being a child of the God of the universe, through his son Jesus Christ, what it means to be a Christian. Not something to be ashamed of, but something to be incredibly excited about and share with people who your daddy is. So last week what we began to look at and it's the prophet Hosea, that first point on your handout, is that why I study this? Because it's God's desire for us. He does want us to know him better not to have just a surface knowledge, not to have just intellectual assent about some facts. He wants us to have an intimate, experiential relationship with him where you know him. How many of you are married? All right. If you have a spouse and you've been married any length of time, you're beginning to know each other. You're still growing in that knowledge, but it's much more than somebody that you just met and you're going to go out on a date with. Mary and I have been married 46 years. I still learn things about my sweet wife. She still learns things about me that she wished she didn't know. It's a, it's a relationship of intimacy that grows and grows and grows. And that's what Christianity is. It's not your religious option. It's a intimate Relationship that is supposed to grow. Paul even talked about it in Philippians. He said, It's not that I've attained, and he thought he was about to die. He says, Not that I've attained, or to use a vernacular we would use today, he was saying, I haven't arrived. But one thing I do, I press on. I press on. I want to grow, I want to grasp. Everything that God has for me. And the beauty of understanding is, as a Christian that individually, each of us has gifts and talents, abilities that God gave to us to turn around and use on behalf of the whole. And they're all important. They're all significant. Whether your, your gift might be a teaching gift, your gift might be a serving gift, but they're all important. The talents that you have, God gave them to you, knew about you before he created the universe, gave you those gifts, redeemed you, adopted you into his family to say, now go glorify my name. Let people know who I really am. Who's your daddy that you want to brag on him? You want people to know who God is we've talked about this a million times. Everybody has a concept of God. Everybody does. And God says, let them know who your daddy is. Why is your concept that my God is the God of Scripture? Why? And if you don't know the answer to that, that's why you pursue him. That's why it's important to him. Talked about that from Hosea last week. He wants us to pursue knowing him. Now, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. The second idea in that arena, that it's God's desire for us, is that he wants us to glory in knowing him, what we've just been talking about. The context of this passage of Jeremiah is God is, uh, through the prophet Jeremiah, trying to explain to the nation of Israel, particularly Judah, How great he is, and how puny they are next to him. That they would remember and understand that remember Moses. And I told Moses my name was I am. Now go tell Pharaoh that, and tell the Hebrews that. And by the way, when they don't believe, I'll show them I am. You let them know Moses, and then step back. You deliver the news. I'm going to let you deliver my people. And I'm going to show Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, who was a god in the eyes of the Egyptians. They worshiped Pharaoh. I'm going to show him that he's not a god. That I alone am God. That's why the first commandment he gave to Moses was, right there on your handout. You will have no other gods before me. I alone am God. I'm jealous. I don't want you running after other gods because they don't exist we've gone over that with our idols and all that we've talked about over the last few weeks so what God wants is for us to glory in him how great he is and then go out we talked about the Westminster Catechism saying the chief end of man is to glorify God and what that literally means in scripture is give people a correct estimate of what God is worth not what they think about God listen to them interact with them, respect everyone's beliefs, whatever they are, respect them, listen to them, dialogue with them, interact with them, and then glorify your God by giving to them an understanding and an estimate of two things, the worth of God to you, who's your daddy, and the worth of God to them, what he can do for them through redemption, through salvation, through forgiveness, through eternal life, through hope that there is a God who created them who wants to be their daddy, who wants to adopt them. Think about it this way, metaphorically, and maybe symbolically, because I love the, the idea of adoption in Scripture by which we can say, Abba, Father. Think if, like, about this way. If you were a child, small child, an orphan, how exciting would it be for you to be adopted into, say, your family, a good family, a family that could take care of you and provide for you and love you, introduce you to Jesus Christ, that you're just an orphan, but you don't know what your future is. I have some friends, adult friends, that that's the way they grew up, and then they met the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you have adopted children, and I think it's the greatest thing in the world for Christian families to adopt children because you'd never know where they would have ended up. And now they get to grow up in a home where they are taken care of, provided for, and introduced to the one who died for their sins who could set them free and give them peace, hope, joy, understand true love. All the things they might miss as an orphan. You have that you've been adopted by God. And that's the daddy you want people to understand. So as I say, you want to talk to people, you want to interact with them, you want to dialogue with them, you want to listen. Whatever their belief system might be. And not arrogantly or, or, or in a cruel way, but in a loving, 1 Peter 3:15, gentle respectful way, give them a reason for the hope that you have. Why do you trust Jesus? Because you just grew up in a church that does? I was sharing this with a guy this week who has uh, has a son. I'm trying to think how old his son was, somewhere around 22, 23. And he said, how come he's not interested in, in church anymore? And I said, because almost every child between 18 and 30, I call them children because
1: Mary and I were going
0: through Kroger, the line at Kroger last night. As I say, every time I go to Kroger, I meet people and talk to people. And So we're going through the checkout line, and this lady, she's very sweet, and we're just talking. And she was talking about how old she was. She just said, it was a kid at the end, it was, it was a second ago, she was talking about, oh, man, I'm, I'm 46 years old. And I looked there and I said, I got a child that old. She goes, ooh, you look so young. No, she, she didn't say that, but she should have. And we just continue to dialogue, and I, and I love to meet people, total strangers, and listen to them, talk to them. Why, do, why? Because I've got something I can share with them that will give them hope, peace, joy, life, purpose, meaning. I want them to meet my daddy. That's my passion for this series, and I hope that it, it, it grabs you hope it does. So back to Jeremiah. So God says, I want you to glory in that you know me. Glory in knowing me. Now look at verse 23 of Jeremiah 9. That was a long introduction, wasn't it? I heard that. 9.23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man or the strong man glory in his strength or might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. So here's what God says. Remember the context of Jeremiah is he's explaining to them how great he is and how puny they are next to him and how desperately they need him. He says, I want you to glory in that you know me, not in yours on your handout, not in your, as a human being, your knowledge, your strength, or your riches, but rather, I want you to glory in the fact you know me. Let's walk through this a little bit because it's very significant. Man's knowledge, God says, I need your focus to be on me, knowing me, because your knowledge as a human being, as much as it might be, you think of the smartest person you know, uh, besides me, the smartest person you know, no matter who it is. How limited is their knowledge next to God's omniscience? Obviously, Pales in comparison. God's knowledge is total. It is complete. He knows everything. My knowledge as a human being is partial, it's limited, it's incomplete, it's narrow. Because I'm not God, I'm finite. One of the most powerful attributes you need to understand about your God is that He's infinite and you're finite. There are so many things you will not even be able to comprehend because you're not God. And so that's why you trust him. The righteous live by faith, the theme of all scripture. Why? Because he's omniscient. I'm not. And so he says, don't glory in you. Nothing wrong with being wise. We'll get to that in a moment. You should be. You should never be satisfied with how much you know. You should always be striving to know more about whatever, maybe it's your field of endeavor that you find yourself in, but whatever it might be, particularly as a Christian, you should never be satisfied with how much you know. We talked about the Apostle Paul earlier. He was saying, I'm chief among sinners. In Romans he writes, who will deliver me from the body of this body of death? I wanted, What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. Oh, who will deliver me? This is the Apostle Paul writing those words. He said, I'm, I, as I said, chief among sinners. You saw in Philippians, he said, I've not arrived yet. I'm not attained. I'm not perfect. I thought I was, when I was a Pharisee, same book, I thought I was sinless. And then I met Jesus and I realized, whoo, All the stuff that I've been counting on, my religiosity and my place in the community and my incredible knowledge of the Torah and everything was a pile of manure. His words, not mine. And then I entered into that fellowship with Christ and that's all I want, to be part of the fellowship of his sufferings, Paul writes. One thing, pressing on, focusing in. So God says, don't glory in how much you know. As good as it is, as incredible as we are as human beings, the capacity we have to learn. Glory in the fact, you know me, and I can carry you. Secondly, don't glory in your own strength or your own might. Your God is not only omniscient, he's also what? What's the Latin for this one? He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And again, our power as human beings, there there are things we we can do that are just horrific to each other, and we have throughout history, still do. But let's think about it on an individual level as God's communicated to them as his children, wanting them to understand, your power, your strength as a human being is, is limited. I can only dominate other people, whatever position of power I might find myself in, as a human being, I can dominate some other people. And if you watch people, that's what they want to do. Even as children, you watch them grow up. But we do the same thing as adults. But my power as a human being is only what I can grab, whether through money or influence or whatever it might be, to dominate other people in some fashion. God is omnipotent. He dominates ideas. Think about that. Give you a headache. He dominates philosophies. But he also dominates a universe that he holds in his hand, that he created, that he spoke into existence, that he allows us to be part of. And through us, wants to use it To glorify him as much as we can. Our sphere. His sphere is all. Your sphere is wherever he places you. That you want your strength. Whatever it might be. To be placed under the direction of the God who is omnipotent. So he can use what strength he gave you on behalf of other people. Not to dominate them. But to glorify God in their midst. You see the difference? That in every relationship I might have, even with total strangers, I want to use whatever opportunity or strength the Lord gives to me to introduce them to or encourage them in. If they're a Christian, encourage them in their growth with their daddy, who's also my daddy. If they're not a Christian, to introduce them to my daddy so that they can have life both now and forever that's meaningful meaningful, purposeful, peaceful, hopeful. So you're not glorying in your own knowledge. You're not glorying in your own strength. And then the third one, which is the one we're going to all struggle with the most and I will raise my hand, is don't glory in your own riches. And it doesn't matter how much you have in this life or how rich you are. It still can only buy you limited number of things. You can you can have all kinds of things, which people do. But it's only going to please you for how long? Remember the old saying, we're all gonna let you finish it. You ready? You already know what I'm gonna say. How much money does it take to make a rich man happy? Just a little bit more. You think back throughout history, some of the most successful, wealthiest human beings and everybody else will look to and say, "Woo! I want to be that guy. And yet, we discover later, many times after their deaths, during their personal lives, they were what? Tormented, miserable, unfulfilled, struggling, searching. Money will not buy you happiness. It'll buy you a lot of things, and it'll buy you a lot of joy on a temporary level. Do you realize that Jesus Christ spent more time on this subject riches and our attitude toward them than everything else he talked about while he was on the planet including heaven and hell why now let's it's be real time and that's why my hand is up if we're not important Even as Christians, people who love Jesus and want to do what's right in our lives, if we're not important, the one area of our lives that we will not surrender to God is the arena of money. And I I don't mean like, okay, I'm I'm giving some money to the church, I'm good. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that God gives you the ability to earn wealth. He gives you every penny you have. He channels it through you. It's all his. He owns it all. He channels it through you. To steward in a way that will glorify him. It doesn't mean you have to support every single missionary that comes down the pike. What it means, though, is that you pray about, Lord, what do you want me to do with your money? Not, how much can we get by? And by the way, I've been there, and we have to, I've shared this with you before. When Mary and I got married in 1973, we were, we were somewhere yesterday. I don't even remember. Oh, we were in a furniture store yesterday. And I fell asleep on the couch. It was really comfortable. (laughs) Well, we're just walking around. You know how they put out books to make it look homey and stuff? Well, I looked down at this coffee table, and it was a world book encyclopedia from the year we got married. And I said, I wonder if they mind if I stole that. That would be kind of cool to have in your house the world book from 1973. I said, I wonder what was going on in 1973. But I've joked about this before, and I was, in 1973, I've been a Christian three years. I didn't know anything about being a husband. Don't say amen, Mary. I didn't know anything about, I didn't know anything about how to treat a woman. I didn't have any example to go by. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and it was tough. I didn't know anything. But God sure gave me the right person. And I still remember our first year in 1973, and in in uh, 1974, We didn't make a lot of money. I was a janitor at a church, and Mary worked at Sears. I think we made $5,000 our first year, maybe six. And I remember we got married, and she said, okay, I'm writing this check to the church. I said, you're doing what? She goes, well, we're going to give them 10% of our money. I said, no, we ain't. She said, yes, we are. And she explained to me that that was important. It's what Christians did. And I'm not saying 10% don't be rigid. God wants not 10%. He wants what? 100%. But if you need a target to shoot for, shoot for 10%. Start there. But she taught me that this is part of worship. You're not paying a bill. You're worshiping the God who saved you three years ago. Stupid? That's what she said. (laughs) No, she didn't say that. No one had ever told me that. I, I still remember this is an aside, and I promise I'll get back to this. little church I grew up in, you made a pledge every year of how much money you were going to give to the church that year. Had a little card. You signed the card. You turned it in. Well, my mom, who was mentally ill and had a lot of issues, she would sign a card every year and put a, a huge you know, amount of money on this card. And I remember the, the first year we did that, that I remember, these two guys came to our house because we weren't living up to our pledge. My dad never had never even been in the building of the church. Our house was here. The church parking lot was here. That's how close we were. we jumped the fence, we were on the church property. So they came to knock on the door, and my dad happened to be home, which was not good. And the two guys in the fedoras and the suits were there for their money, and my dad made it real clear to them, we don't give money to the church and don't ever come back here again. That's the only thing I knew about giving money to the church. That's all I knew about it. Then I began to learn. Here's what God wants you to understand. Mark chapter 4, Jesus said these words. Mark chapter 4, you don't have to turn there. "The The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Choke the word. If we're not careful, the deceitfulness of riches what we're knowing and learning about our God as we grow, if our focus on our riches, Jesus said, if you're not careful, it'll come in and just choke out God's word because that's all you'll be able to think about. Let's say you're in debt up to your eyeballs. You're both working. That's all you can, you got just enough. You get to pay your pills, but, but you, know, you can pay for this. You can pay for that and you're, all your toy. everything's good. And then one of you loses your job. Or just get sick and can't work anymore. Now where are you? That suddenly becomes just an incredible burden on everything in your marriage. If you don't make enough money, you're not you're not you're not providing enough. You got to be balanced, both in a budget and in your giving. That it's God's you honoring Him. I read a story about a family. The late 1800s into the early 1900s, it's a true story. The family they were called the Wendells. I want to say it was in Chicago, is some a big city up north. I don't remember which one, but I was reading about them. So I was going through this information, and it was a family. It's one brother, and he had six sisters. Big family, and they and their parents died, and they were left a huge inheritance. They were very wealthy. Well. They were so miserly, particularly the brother. They were so miserly that he convinced all five of the six, one of them married, but he convinced the other five to never get married and they all lived in the same house together their whole lives. The one sister got married and had a life, but five of the sisters and the brother lived in the same house. They had no life. When the one lady died 19, I think it was 1931, she died. She had one dress. She had made herself. Her estate when she died was $100 million in 1931. That's a lot of money. But she never lived anywhere else. She only had the one dress. Their whole life was money. When the brother died, the five, the five sisters went to the newspaper. You put an announcement in the newspaper... That that was a legal announcement that someone had died. Public announcement that this person is dead. And there was a minimum amount you had to pay, whatever it was. It was like five bucks or something. And you got five words. And they didn't want to pay the money. And he said, if you want to legally announce that your brother is dead, you have to pay the money. And they said, well, we'll just put two words in. What do we get for that? And he said, it's the same price. Two words or five words, you got to pay the price. And so, so they could use all five words. Here's the ad they put in the paper when their brother died Wendell dead, car for sale. <laughs> now, what was their whole life about? Money. Money. Now, does that mean you should give everything away and, and we all live in a commune somewhere? No. It means you should be balanced. Should be focused. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 4 for just a second. We'll come right back to chapter 9. Look at chapter 4, verse 22. 422. God says, 422 My people are foolish. They have not known me. They're silly children. They have no understanding. They're wise to do evil, but to do good. They have no knowledge. Here's what God's saying. I want you to glory in knowing me. You got all kinds of knowledge and the capacity to do evil and you're really good at that. But I want you to pursue and to know me, glory in knowing me, not live out a life of evil. You're really good at that for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. God says, I want you to glory in knowing me, that knowledge. Now go back to Jeremiah 9 and look at the other side of the coin, verse 24. 23, God says, don't, don't glory in your own wisdom, your own strength, your own riches, which is, by the way, that's what human beings do. But the first word in verse 24 is what? But let man glory in this Let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, God, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight. Here's what God says. I want you to glory in knowing me, not in your own strength, wisdom, and riches, but rather in this, number one, that you understand me. Gloring in knowing me. Notice how he puts the me, the Lord of loving kindness, the Lord of judgment, the Lord of righteousness. In these I delight," says the Lord. Loving kindness, another way of saying grace and mercy. That you know who your God is. But when you when you step back and you meditate on the fact that God showed you grace. And you didn't deserve it. None of us did. He showed us mercy and didn't give us what we didn't deserve. He sent Christ. That he's the God of loving kindness. That we glory in that. That we can share grace with people. That he's the God of judgment. Whether you like it or not. He will be the one ultimately and finally will judge every human being. Complete fairness and partiality. And we're going to look at that attribute as we walk through these. The God of righteousness. So here's what he's saying. I want you. The glory in this, that you know me, the God of mercy and grace, the God of judgment, the God of righteousness, holiness, living correctly. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter 3. As you're turning there, I want you to listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Great preacher from the 1800s. Quote, Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity. End quote. Nothing will enlarge your intellect like pursuing a knowledge of who your dad is. You'll grow in ways that you never thought possible. Why? Because you're created in the image of God. He loves you. He wants to have an intimate relationship with you. He has a plan for you. He has things he wants to do with you, for you, through you want you to pursue him know him grow in knowing him and then go out and glorify him in the world that's the mission of the church go into all the world and make disciples jesus said and i will be with you it is god's destiny for us which is the second point on your handout it is god's destiny for us to know him look at ephesians 3 let's set the context verse 14 14. For this reason, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. For this reason, I, Paul, bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, the church, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever." What Paul is doing here, and I'm I'm going to stop here today because I really don't want to get into the details of Ephesians. We're going to hit this next week. But I want to set the context and then we'll wrap this up. What he's saying here in verses 14 through 21, in the book of Ephesus, this is the second time Paul is praying for them. It's his second prayer for the Ephesians in this book letter that he writes to Ephesus and it's very much a spiritual prayer here that I want you to to understand the depth and the length and the height we're going to talk about this in detail next week but the idea is this when you're looking at a building you know you look get Chad up here and he can explain this because I can't but you're looking at length and you're looking at height well, what Paul is saying, this is much more than we are the building, we are the temple, but he's saying much more than that, there's a depth here, a depth. I want to end with this story, and I've shared it before, but I think it's been years, so many of you will not have heard it, because it, it was such impactful on me as a 16-year-old kid, and as a new Christian, this idea of depth and never being satisfied We used to have a college here in town called Crichton College. Some of you may have heard of it. It used to be called Mid-South Bible College. And when I was a senior at Overton High School, I really wanted to go to Mid-South Bible College when I graduated from high school, but there was no money. I just couldn't afford it, and I ended up going to God's institution over there at Normal and Southern University of Memphis. And God took care of all that. But anyway, the... Crichton College was founded by a man named Dr. James Crichton, and his two sons were close friends of mine. I played basketball together with them. Uh, one played at ECS, the other was at Germantown, and I was at Overton, and they, they were good. I just hung out with them, and we, we all played basketball together, and so I got to hang out some at their house in Germantown, spend time with Dr. Crichton, and Dr. Crichton used to teach a Bible study over by the University of Memphis, at the old, where the old Button Cafe used to be, Southern Avenue Baptist Church. He would teach on Monday nights, would teach a men's Bible study there. And because I was hanging out at his house, again, I'm 16 years old, I've been, say, two months. And he said, Randy, you talk like that, he talked like this. Randy, if you want to come, you can come. I said, well, thank you, Dr. Crichton, I, I think I'll do that. I, I didn't know anything about the Bible, I, was, and, and so I just started going to Dr. Crichton's Bible study, and I'm like... And I've always been a voracious reader, and I love to study and I love to learn, and I'm just writing notes. I have any idea what he was talking about. And I was over at his house one day, and I said, Dr. Crichton, he said, I'm just amazed how much you know about the Bible. And he started crying. I said, What did I say? Don't kick me out, Dr. Crichton. I'm sorry. He said, No, uh, Randy, uh," he's bawling. I said, What is it? He goes, I'm so ashamed how little I know. That, that means you understand that there's a depth you'll never reach, but you want to. You want to because you want to know your daddy better. You bow your heads, please. Father, we do thank you that we have a God who is real. We thank you that you not only love us, you're in our midst talked about you being omnipotent and omniscient today, that you know everything and you're all powerful, but you're also omnipresent. You're everywhere. I cannot go anywhere that you're already, already there now or I'm going to be tomorrow you're already there, preparing the way going to be in the midst of whatever i got to face you're right there with me you're my daddy. I pray for all of us, starting with Randy, that would be so encouraging and uplifting and and just moving in a very emotional way that I want people to know who my daddy is, I, I, that I'm so privileged to be his child. And it's not what they think it is. So we thank you for loving us. We thank you for sending Christ to paid our price, our sin debt, so we could be set free. So I pray for all of us who are Christians, Lord, we would be focused on learning and growing in our faith, trusting our daddy, and then glorifying him. And for those maybe who are not Christians, that they would simply say, I want to know God that way and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. Please forgive me. Save me. I want God to be my daddy. We commit this time to you, Lord in Jesus name. Amen. Please stand.